Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. So today we're going to talk about another guy from the golden age of alchemy. And he also kind of tied together a couple of other um, people we talked about. And he's also kind of local. He, at some point, spent some time in the Czech Republic, even though he's German. So today we're going to talk about Heinrich Kunrat, who lived from 1560 to 1605, right around the time of Tycho Brahe. He was also a physician, hermetic philosopher, and alchemist. Now, Francis Yates, who I'm a big fan of, by the way, and read, even though I'm not sure what his, her um, reputation in the historical community is now. She's kind of a pioneer a while ago, but um, still, it's, Francis Yates is, is some good reading, let me tell you what. So Francis, Francis Yates considered him to be a link between the philosophy of John Dee and Rosicrucianism. And we, in the John Dee episode, we mentioned that um, Rosicrucians kind of consider John Dee as, you know, one of their own, and if not a founding member and that kind of thing, which he was not. Um, but regardless, the Rosicrucians did take a lot of his symbols, like the Monos Hieroglyphicus we talked about. I think that was last show, actually. We did yeah. Rosicrucians. Well, you know, some of the listeners also to uh, the Bohemian podcast will remember John Dee as one of our favorite uh, uh, subject matters because uh, between uh, John Dee and Kelly, uh, they really left their stamp here in Prague in the Czech Republic. Yeah. And we've covered them several times in the History of Alchemy podcast. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Konrad was born in, in Dresden, in Saxony. He was the son of a merchant. One source I found said that when he was 10, which seems odd to me, um, he may have enrolled at the University of Leipzig under the name of Henrikos Konrad Lips. The problem with some of these sources or, um, you know, some of the historical records in general is that he used multiple names, which, you know, we've come across before. So it's hard to say exactly, but still, it he was, is, it's hard to, to believe. He born in 1560 and then attending in 1570. That's, that's my university. main problem with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Henrikos Konrad Lips really sounds like Heinrich Konrad, but still, and maybe the, maybe I wrote down the year wrong. I'm not sure. What is sure is that in May 1588, so now he's 28 years old. This makes more sense. He matriculated at the University of Basel in Switzerland, and he earned his he earned his medical doctor degree of in that year. Which, which, you know, Travis, that, that, that in itself is, is something that's pretty interesting because the, the, the issue of, of medicine back then was really in its infancy. I mean, you, you, at the time, you were scrambling around to, to, to find a cadaver to practice on, and you did it pretty much in secret uh, to, to work on, on anatomy and those type of things. So, I mean, it's, um, this was really the beginning of, of what we would consider maybe medical knowledge. So just to be in a classroom with him at this point, to kind of see through his eyes, would have been amazing in itself about what kind of uh, information he yeah. got. Well, this was the time of Paracelsus. So he was a disciple of Paracelsus. Remember, we did a show on him. So there's there was, especially in his time, Paracelsus was more accepted. But, um, you know, there were several in the camp of anti-Paracelsian. 
But actually, you don't hear too many of those folks in the History of Alchemy podcast because they just there's, there's a lot in common between the Paracelsonites. So he did practice Paracelsian medicine, and particularly in Dresden, Magdeburg, Hamburg, possibly a professional uh, professorial position in Leipzig. He traveled widely after 1588, including a stay in the Imperial Court of Prague. Under who? I, I Say can't. It. I'm, I'm, already, Do it. I'm already so drunk right now. <laughs> See, guys, we have a drinking game because we, on the Bohemian podcast, as well as the History of Alchemy podcast, we pay homage to Rudolf II, Emperor Rudolf II uh, of Habsburg fame, uh, mainly because he, he rocked. Um, I think we he, should just rename both of our podcasts. Yeah, to yeah, fo- yeah, history of Rudolph II. <laughs> so I know a lot of our listeners probably get tired of it. But we don't. Uh, we because don't. It we was don't. such a golden time for for alchemists and, uh, you and know, people that thought differently at, at the time when Prague was open for this and it was closed yeah. out to most it was other a, parts of Europe. Even though Rudolph was Catholic, it was a haven for Protestants. Yeah, he, he, just, didn't, he loved it. He loved yeah, it. First public, uh, the first public autopsy was conducted under his reign. So as a drinking game goes, you so, can drink now. Yeah, and so especially for a doctor, you know, this is this is kind of why we see this is that he was tolerant, and you know, the Catholics did not allow public, well, they didn't allow autopsies, period, really, but especially not public ones. So they they did happen in secret, kind of everywhere. Um, but Prague is a place where a doctor could really learn as a doctor. So now, bef- before reaching Prague, he had actually met John D. in Bremen. In 1589, when D was on his way back to England from Bohemia, so if you remember, this is when he was with Lasky, and he was kind of on the down and out. Like, yeah, he was. He, he had better days uh, behind him. him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Edward Kelly kind of took charge at this point. So, um, Conrad praised D in his later works. During his court stay, Conrad met the alchemist Edward Kelly. Yeah, well, which is only a couple of years before Kelly's arrest. So, you know. Yeah, it was kind of at the right place at the right time. This is, you know, if I if I had a time machine and could travel through Europe, this is kind of what I would do. So, do you think he? Do you think he would have really liked to to have met and talked with Kelly? I mean, Kelly, as we talked about in the I show, was so. kind of a he kind must of have, a fast talker, like a yeah, car, he, used car salesman. But, yeah, but he must have been charismatic to sell yeah, what he was yeah. selling. Well, so. I think it'd have been interesting uh, be a fly on the wall during those conversations. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, the same year that Kelly was arrested in 1591, Conrad was appointed to court physician to Count Rosenberg in Trebon, so also in Bohemia. And he probably met Johann Tölde, who we did a podcast on, while at Trebon. Um, And we we, we actually did it, you know, he's probably Basil Valentine. We actually did a show on both Tölde and Valentine. So in case there's some confusion, we covered both of them, so we're good. So we talked briefly about the, the fact that he had rubbed elbows with, uh, you know, the who's who that we've mentioned on the Alchemy podcast. Kunrat brushes up with John Dee and Tolde, and, and uh, Paracelsian beliefs led them to develop a, a Christianized natural magic, seeking to find the secret prima materia that would lead, that, that would lead man into internal wisdom. The Christianized view that Kunrat uh, took was framed around the commitment of Lutheran theology of the time. He also held the experience of observation that was essential to practical alchem- alchemical research, as well as an, being a natural philosopher. His most famous work in alchemy is the Amphitheater of Eternal Wisdom, a work on the mystical aspects of art in which contains the often seen engraving entitled The First Stage of the Great Work, better known as the Alchemist's Laboratory. 
We mentioned that a few times on the show as well. The, the book was first published in Hamburg in 1595. It was four circular, elaborate, hand-colored engraved plates heightened with gold and silver with Kunrat des- designed that were engraved by Paulus van der Dort. You know, the Amphitheater of Eternal Wisdom is an alchemical classic uh, combined with both Christianity and magic. In it, Kunrath showed himself to be adept at spiritual alchemy and uh, illustrated the many staged and intricate paths of spiritual perfection. Kunrath's work was important to Lutheran circles as well. John Warwick Montgomery has pointed out that Johann Arndt, uh, who was the influential writer of Lutheran books uh, of pietism and devotion, composed a commentary of the amphitheater. Some of these works are Kabbalistic in nature and foreshadow Rosicrucianism. Yeah, because if, if we do indeed uh, see some, like, transmutation of the soul, right, as far as, like, spiritual alchemy, then, then this definitely does kind of foreshadow Rosicrucianism. So that w- I think that was Francis Yates' point, that you have John Dee on one end, and then, you know, he kind of takes some of his ideas and develops them further, especially if you're combining, like, mystical things like magic with kind of Christian theology, that definitely sets the stage for um, what we what we you know heard about in the Rosicrucian episode. He died. Now, yeah, of course, you know some of the stuff he wrote was a little bit controversial, so he did have some opposing views, and some of those were actually in pretty high places. So, like we see often before in um, doctors that lean a little bit too far to alchemy, let's say. He died in poverty in either Dresden or Leipzig on September 9th, 1605. Now, it's interesting because on on the one hand, we really have his kind of empirical um, approach. Like we said, you know, experience and observation were essential to practical alchemy, right? So we have that on one side. And then we also have his weird spirituality side on on the other side. So, you know... Those two viewpoints are, are kind of opposing to each other, um, unless you do, you know, I mean, he, he merged them together, and like in the Rosicrucian episode, we saw that, you know, they're really combining, there's no difference between science and religion, because, you know, discovering science is just discovering God's work, right, no matter how in- intricate it is. So that's, pro- you know, that's one way I could, I could see him seeing this as, um, but you know, critics at the time definitely, you know, like, you know, they, they didn't quite get it. So he's a doctor natural philosopher on one side, but then he's also talking about these kind of weird ideas of, you know, transmutating oneself, basically, to find eternal perfection. And that just, you know, those are just different circles of folks, basically. So, yeah, so his book was eventually condemned after his, his death in 1625. I did use my superhuman ability of uh, reading German, to find out some of the original um, quotes and texts online. And it is some pretty interesting stuff. So he really does kind of talk about experimentation on one side, so that you're, you're, you're always improving your experiments and you know carefully tracking what's happening. But then on the other side, it, even in the same text, he talks about... Um, that, that, you know, doing this properly, like doing the alchemical process properly, will lead to a better kind of perception, like a, a recognition of certain truths. So, so, you know, it clearly goes beyond just empirical science in, in some ways. Another thing that, that does kind of pop out if you read some of his works is that um, he's definitely trying to 
combine i know we, we mentioned lutheran works a minute ago but he's definitely trying to combine the catholic church and dogma with some of his ideas so he's he's not you know just dismissing it outright and um, i'm not even sure i'd call him a protestant i, I don't know but well, you know M- martin luther did the same thing i mean yeah he, he really was catholic yeah, you know, so he, exactly. He just wanted, refer- he wanted to change the system to a point, but still remain Catholic. Yeah, he had some new ideas, mm-hmm. but this is kind of taking um, the Catholic Church and saying, you know what, the, the Gnostics weren't wrong. We should listen to what they said, and that just doesn't really fly. It, it did so. you no. Know, it didn't really fly too much because the Gnostics. Remember, the Gnostics had that idea that they were uh, better suited for the knowledge than everybody else, the yeah, layperson. This, this this comes up all the time yeah. that. That they are the only ones, and by Gnostic is a crazy wide definition and a huge scope, but but specifically anybody that believes in some kind of esoteric knowledge um, also believes that it's, that it's esoteric because it's not meant for everyone. Right. And since I know it, you know, I know things that you don't know, and that kind of makes me better. So, I mean, he, he definitely had um, some of those ideas, but... Yeah, but it, but it is still is kind of interesting that he he does mention the Kabbalah specifically a, a few times and and so he, you know he's he's much more adept at the kind of um, mystical and um, weird ideas that were floating around at the time, but he does you know try to tie it into science and and uh, believes in in uh, empirical evidence to some degree and kind of just you know tries to tie all these worldviews together which were you know popular at the time and just interesting to kind of see another link in the in the line from you know from like John Dee to to Rosicrucians and then um, you know one of the stepping stones into real uh, a real kind of belief in spiritual alchemy which you know we talked about in like ancient times like Zosimos Panopoulos but that was a very different sort of spiritual alchemy um, yeah kind of an interesting take on another guy from the golden age Prague Travis you know What's interesting, besides what we've done so far on the history of alchemy, and you co-host a show with, with me on Bohemian uh, Podcast, you've got a new endeavor that you're doing right now that I think is kind of catching on, um, and uh, we're getting more and more listeners for your show all the time. And maybe it's a good time to explain uh, what your new endeavor is. That's right. I have failed to mention before that uh, there's a new podcast called History of Germany, so it's historyofgermanypodcast.com, and it's a little special because it's completely bilingual. So um, if you go to iTunes and you search for Geschichte der Deutschen, that's also me. So I do History of Germany in English, and then I do the same show. I translate it and put it on a separate iTunes feed in German. And you're starting and from the beginning. Out. You're starting from the very beginning, aren't you? I'm going way back. We're talking Homo Heidelbergensis and Neanderthals and, and Proto-Germanic and... Uh, Hallstatt culture and all that stuff, but we're we're slowly moving forward into the a uh, couple more episodes and we'll get up to the Celts and then a couple beyond that and we'll be up to the Goths and written history. Actually, I can't wait to get to written history. Um, so right now it's more archaeological evidence and, and that kind of thing. But you know we do have a good three hundred thousand years of history of hominids at least living in Central Europe. So, and then modern humans about 40,000 years ago. So it's kind of a lot to cover. So I'm, I, I feel covering all that to zero BC is uh, pretty good to, you know, I'll get, I'll get there in like 15 episodes or so. So we're, um, I'm just starting out, episode five will come out in a couple of days. So if you want, take a look. 
Um, and that one in particular, I would love to crowdsource ideas. If you have any kind of ideas for like more obscure but interesting history or something that just not everyone knows about or um, you think has been not talked about enough in, in other um, venues of German history, then by all means, that's, I mean, I have a lot of ideas already, but I'd love to hear from you. And I'll definitely take customer feedback to heart in as far as which direction the show goes. So um, I have heard a lot already about people wanting to learn German. So they are in two separate feeds. So if you want to use my show to learn German, you're going to have to listen to the English one and then the German one separately. I'm not going to combine the two shows because if you don't speak German and you're not interested in learning German, then that would be really boring to hear a bunch of German. Um, so I'm not going to be doing that. M many people suggested that already. That's not going to happen. But there is a, a, you know, I just wanted to reach another audience, which is German-speaking audience. So, and and hopefully get ideas from German speakers about you know lesser-known parts of German history that I can then share with my English listeners, English-speaking listeners. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of feedback already. I'm I'm actually impressed with how many people have reached out when I've only been doing the show for like a week or so. So it definitely looks to be like pretty promising. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.